Hi, my name is Umberto Mucci. This is with Italian News, a podcast about Italy during coronavirus times. Today is Thursday, February 10, 2022. From tomorrow in Italy ends the obligation to keep the mask outdoors, while for the obligation to keep the mask indoors, we will probably have to wait until March 31, the date of the end of the state of emergency began that began almost two years ago. This is excellent news that comes from the improvement of the numbers of the pandemic. Today, however, Italy will exceed the number of 150,000 Italians killed by COVID. And it is a terrible, terrible number. This horrendous virus has killed as many Italians as those living in the capital of Sardinia, Cagliari. Imagine such a large city, the 26th largest city in Italy, completely wiped out. To all these fellow Italians who are no longer with us goes our heartfelt remembrance. Aside from Covid, Italy today faces a huge problem that will not be solved for quite some time. I've already talked about it, but the resounding increases in energy costs are causing huge problems. The government has already intervened with two allocations of funds to help families and companies and a third major allocation will be announced in these days. But the problem is so big that even that will not be enough. Without structural interventions, the country remains exposed to shocks. Record increases in electricity and gas prices are forcing more and more Italian companies to turn off their machines and close down. Small and medium enterprises are the most affected. For the Italian production system, the energy bill has risen from 8 billion in 2020 to 21 billion last year, with a forecast of 37 billion for this one. For example, for pasta producers, the price of gas has tripled, the cost of electricity has risen by 150%, and also the cost of raw materials has grown by 120%. But every sector of Italy is affected, from fashion to ceramics, from machinery to steel and cement production, from automotive to designing industries. So the crisis is heavily threatening the Italian recovery, and in fact, in January there was a drop in industrial production of 1.3% for this. It is a paradox because this emergency emergency is the very child of the recovery. Once the hardest period of the lockdown ended, the recognition of the global economy and excess demand sent prices skyrocketing, a powerful rebound which has brought to light Europe's structural fragility when it comes to energy. While waiting for the explosion of renewables, hydrogen and tomorrow, who knows, nuclear fusion, the whole continent depends on gas, gas imports, the fuel that must accompany the transition to the green economy. And it's a good thing that it's not a very cold winter in Italy, so we can at least reduce the consumption for heating. Meanwhile, today there will be a resounding protest by the mayors of many Italian cities because the costs incurred by local authorities are becoming unsustainable. The municipalities are beginning to have difficulty in providing continuous public services to citizens. For this reason, today at 8 p.m., many many municipalities in the country will symbolically turn off the lighting of a representative building or a significant place for the community. The Italian Parliament approved a law on Tuesday making protection of the environment part of the Italian Constitution in a significant twist for the country's future. The law says that the state must safeguard the environment, biodiversity and ecosystem in the interest too of future generations. However, it remains to be seen what practical effects the revision to the Constitution will have. Italy's constitution, effective since 1948, sets out broad principles, but these are not always reflected in legislation and day-to-day policy. If a lower court believes legislation flouts the constitution, it can appeal to the constitutional court, launching what is normally a slow, drawn-out process. 
The President of the Republic can also refuse to sign off on bills and ask the Parliament to revise them if he believes they do not respect the Constitution. Private individuals and pressure groups cannot appeal directly to the Constitutional Court. Today, as every February 10 in Italy, is the Day of Remembrance in order to preserve and renew the memory of the tragedy of the Italians and all old victims of the Foibe, of the exodus from their lands of those who in the years after the Second World War lived in the regions of Istria, Dalmatia and the city of Fiume in the northeastern part of Italy. After the defeat of Italy in the war, Istria, Rijeka and Zadar, then Italian territory, were ceded to Yugoslavia. This involved a very long series of violence perpetrated by the Yugoslavian communist partisans led by their dictator Tito against all those they considered enemies. As far as the former Italian territories were concerned, the planned ethnic and nationalistic purge took place in two distinct waves, in 1943 and in 1945. It is estimated that in the period between 1943 and 1947, the Italian exiles forced to leave their homes were at least 250,000, with about 20,000 victims. Several thousands of these, between 4 and 6,000, lost their lives inside the Foibe. The Foibe are deep, deep natural cavities typical of karst areas where the bodies of the executed were abandoned. Great news from science involving Italy. Three paralyzed people have regained the ability to walk, swim and pedal thanks to a new treatment featuring electrodes implanted into their spines developed by a group coordinated by a university in Lausanne, Switzerland, with the help of an Italian expert, Silvestro Micera, who works for Pisa Scuola Superiore Sant'Anna. The system uses the electrodes to set electrical impulses generated by a computer controlled by the patient to the muscles of the legs and the torso to make the movements possible as documented by a paper published in Nature Medicine Journal. One of the three patients involved in the experimentation of the system is Italian too. His name is Michel Roccati. He was paralyzed four years ago in a motorcycle accident that caused him to suffer a spinal cord injury. And now he can walk. <clears throat> there are a few Italians who have received excellent awards in these days that I am pleased to recall quickly, leaving the most incredible one at the last, uh, as the last one. We have three talents among the nominations for the next Oscars. Paolo Sorrentino's The End of God has entered the five shortlist for Best International Film, Enrico Casarosa's Luca is nominated for Best Animated Film, and Massimo Cantini-Barrini is nominated for the costumes of the film Cyrano. Filippo Ferretti, born in Florence and now living and working in New York, has been awarded the prestigious Emmy Award for Journalism, assigned in the United States by the Academy of Television Arts and Sciences, equivalent to an Oscar for Television Journalism. Filippo was awarded the Emmy for having conducted a journalistic investigation that unmasked a scam against migrants perpetrated by a religious pastor who was paid for false documents after having gained people's trust through faith. Besides, Matteo Cignetti, a 19 years old, born in Ivrea, Piedmont, has just been elected best young chef in the world, becoming the first chef from Italy to win the Olympiad Young Chef. But to end this video, I will tell you a fantastic story about two Italian champions. Listen to this. Canada has over 2 million members and practitioners of the sport of curling. The US about 20,000 members, Scotland 15,000, Sweden 7,000, Russia 6,000, and then China, Switzerland, Norway, Denmark, Japan, Germany and Finland have all at least 2,000 members who play and practice curling. In Italy, 333, 333, 
people practice curling. Two of them have just won the gold medal at the Olympics. It's incredible. Undefeated, winning 11 games out of 11. Stefania Costantini and Amos Mosaner have accomplished one of the greatest feats in the history of Italian sport. And this must be wonderful also to you Italians in America because curling is the Olympic sport most similar to the favorite among you, bocce. Carling tells the contradictions of a country to perfection. It is the triumph of a movement that doesn't even exist, that doesn't have a federation of reference that can count on only three training centers in the whole country, that keeps itself standing on the initiative of a few private clubs that every year lives with the hope of being able to attract new players to stop the hemorrhage of those who leave. A sport that can be played up to 80 years old cuts the peninsula in half that uh, by its very nature excludes the south and concentrates on the north in a country that for the vast majority doesn't even know the rules but that would gladly stay and watch for hours these two young Italians uh, who apparently like, like many others are like many others he's a former employee of a farm she's a former saleswoman in a clothing store very very common people Italy became aware of curling in 2006 at the Winter Olympics in Turin and only now does it realize that Milan, which together with Cortina will host the next Winter Olympics in 2026, does not even have a facility where to practice curling. We have looked at this sport with distrust for years, even talking about it with a bit of snobbery, mocking them. For years we talked about brooms, pats, particular and curious gestures and postures. Some called it precisely bocce on ice. Today we are world champions in the mixed discipline and then we also have the men's team which has a good chance of meddling. So let's cross our fingers and cheer for Italy one, one more time. It's all for now, it's all for, for today. I'll see you next Monday. Please stay safe and take care. My name is Umberto Mucci. This was with Italia News. Ciao from Rome.